Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, Friday interview edition here from Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. Had another great talk today, everybody, with Sean Gunn. I uh, met Sean, I think I teased this out a few weeks ago. I met Sean at a wedding a couple of weeks ago in Santa Barbara, California, uh, to a mutual friend. I believe his fiance is friends with my friend who was getting married. Sean came along, and uh, he was seated at my table at dinner, and uh, he is a very cool, great guy. And uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to out there in California. So I uh, I got his contact information. He actually owns a home here in Atlanta because he was shooting so much here. Uh, a few actors are doing that now. They're buying places here in Atlanta, which is pretty smart. So he obviously was working on the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which shoots here in Atlanta a lot. So he was on uh, Guardians 1 and 2. And uh, you've seen his work in the Gilmore Girls, uh, Ladies. He was on that show. We talked about that today. He was on that show for seven years, which is kind of great. And then again with the with the relaunch of it a couple of years ago. And uh, he picked the movie California Split, the great, great classic Robert Altman film from 1974 that I had never seen. Uh, this is one that got by me, so I was able to watch it this morning, uh, as did he. And we had a really, really good talk about it. Uh, Sean is a very insightful guy, and it was fun to talk to him about not only this movie and and Robert Altman, but uh, his his life growing up in a large family of siblings closely packed together in age and uh, devouring movies and pop culture and, and suburban St. Louis. And then uh, all of them somehow kind of getting involved in the entertainment industry. Uh, his brother, James, obviously uh, the director of the Guardians movies and uh, his his other siblings, too, have gotten involved in the film industry. So. It was very cool, good conversation about art and acting and uh, and his training in college and beyond and sort of his career path. It's always interesting to see how people got where they are and uh, certainly was in this case with Mr. Gunn. So uh, here we go with Sean Gunn on California Split. My first uh, beer podcast. I love it. My first drinking one. Which is kind of surprising. I had the Never. Broken Lizard guys in here. I figured they would be drinking with me, but 
Well, probably no one else th- thinks that they can, you know, or I'm drinking at work. Yeah, I was going to say, or people think that it will reflect poorly on them if they're like, oh. no, I mean, and this is like, what, what time is it? 4.15? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> 4.10, five minutes, we'll smoke some weed and it'll uh, all be great. <laughs> Here, cheers. Yeah, slancha. Uh, what'd you say? Slancha. What's that? Uh, Gaelic. Are you Irish? I am. Well, that's I mean, a good way to start talking about your background. Right. <laughs> What's your background? John um, Gunn. Uh, are we? Oh, we're, we're going now. Huh? Yeah, we're going. I'll find a good entry point. I don't point. care. You can just start there. Um, <laughs> let's just start with Slancha. Uh, let's see. My background is I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, um, no way. Uh, suburban, you know, like deep suburbs of St. Louis. So yeah. like, you know, half an hour outside of the city, even though I went to went to high school in the city, but I'm the youngest, youngest of six. Wow. Um, four brothers, one sister. Wow. There's less than eight years that separates the six of us. Oh, okay. So we're like, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. In order of age. Is that fun growing <clears throat> up like that? That must've been well, kind of crazy. I don't know what to compare it to. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but I had fun. <laughs> I mean, it's good. There's a lot of things, you know, it's like anything else. Like, like every, every, every part of it reflects on the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I grew up very much being sort of sheltered and, and babied in a way. I also had a lot of health problems as a kid. Like I had a lot of surgeries when I was super little. Really? And, um, yeah. What, what kind of stuff? Or do you want to um, not talk about it? No, I can talk. I, I, I'll say I don't want to talk about that if there's anything, but otherwise, okay, go for it. <laughs> um, I had just like, like just I was the runt of the litter basically. So I had like intestinal problems that needed to be corrected, and then mostly I was born with a pectus, which is like a a caved in chest. Oh, um, and so I had to have major reconstructive chest surgery when I was. Um, when I was about, uh, four years old. Do you remember that? Um, I do. Uh I I remember enough that I remember when I was in recovery from it for, for, you know, many months, I had to have a a T-board strapped to my back, which is, it was just like a big white T. And so it was like, and I was wrapped in it to sort of keep my chest from collapsing on itself. Wow. uh, Man, that's harsh. It was harsh, but you know what? I was such a weird little kid that, like, I dug it. I thought anything <laughs> to make me unique yeah. was was cool. So it was like, oh, I was, you know, that that made me different. Uh-huh. I was, and it got me attention. And I learned later that, like, you know, I craved this. I craved attention, which I got. It's not like I right. wasn't getting any, and I still craved it. But, like, I loved getting attention. I loved being the, you know the the center of uh the room i loved like telling jokes mm-hmm. um and doing little performances and things like that and you know i learned later that that's just sort of part of it's part of the fabric of who i am right you know and it's like it's still i still feel it when i get i mean obviously i'm still a performer and i like performing in different ways now than i did when i was younger but i still when i get on stage in front of tons of people and Mm -hmm. I'm, and I'm speaking, whether it's just as myself or playing a character, no matter what it is, there's like this otherworldly 
rush that I get when yeah. I'm doing really nothing else. Right. You know, and you I realized feel, that early on. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got from the T-board to that, but I guess, uh, but yeah. Was so, anyone else in your family? Uh, I mean, obviously your brother James is a, a writer and director. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone else in the film industry? We're all in the film industry except oh, okay. my sister. Um, well, f- in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. So I, so it's, it's just a really weird thing. And, and it's, you know, um, I don't know how we all sort of went that direction. I have some guesses, but, um, you know, my dad comes from this huge family. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of nine, he's Irish Catholic. Yeah. Uh, they're all, you know, lawyers and some doctors and people, you know, in the financial industry. And they're all this very sort of like old white money people. Yeah. Um, and my, me and my five siblings all were way into movies and television and pop culture. Yeah. And we shared that with each other. We talked about it all the time. And, um, and we all ended up coming from sort of different angles. It's not like any one of us followed any of the others. Mm-hmm. But now James is obviously, you know, super successful. But my brother Brian is also a successful screenwriter. He's oh, got right. this movie. Um, he and his writing partner, like, created a show for MTV and um, wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth 2. Uh-huh. And they have a movie coming out for Sony, um, I think, early next year. I don't know what the release date is. But uh, a uh, this horror movie coming out, which is really cool. Um, my brother Matt has been a writer for Real Time with Bill Maher mm-hmm. for over a decade. Oh, wow. That's um, a steady gig. Yeah. And uh, he really likes it. He's kind of a... He was sort of the political animal in mm-hmm. the family. Um, you know, most likely to be a uh, a congressperson, probably. But <laughs> um, maybe, maybe him or my sister. But But still, he channeled that into entertainment uh-huh. you know um so yeah he writes uh he's a writer my brother patrick is um is a business guy but he's done it um in the film industry he used to be uh he, he used to work for artisan entertainment mm-hmm. um he was really in, in um involved in distribution and things like that and now he works for a uh, he works for a company that does like acquisitions and, and mm-hmm. um I've tried to pin him down on exactly what he does and I can't quite figure it out. I hope it's legal. Uh, and yeah, so that's the five of us. Oh, what does your sister do? And my sister's an attorney. She's okay. an, an, um, she's an employment attorney who, um, who specializes in, uh, uh, gender quality cases, oh, which I think is so great. badass. Yeah. Man. She's, she's tough as nails. My sister. Yeah. She's like, yeah. Where does she fall? Birth she's kind of my hero. She's, um, she's, Third out of six. Okay. And who's the oldest? James. Okay. Yeah. Now, did he sort of, it's so remarkable that everyone from suburban St. Louis ended up going in the entertainment industry to some degree. I know. We all went, you know, I got my, my one brother who's in, who's on the business side of things lives in New York, but the rest of us all live in Los Angeles. Uh You know, I mean, I split my time between here in Atlanta and Los Angeles, but yeah, but I still, you know, we, we live in LA really. Right. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I, I went to St. Louis for the first time last year. Uh, we did a live show with my other podcast there, uh, Stuff You Should Know, and it was it was a cool town. I liked it. Yeah. Good people. Like, um, legit city, but, like, being from the South, I identified with just, like, good, nice folks. It's changed a lot. I don't go back there as much anymore. Um, um, I try, I've been going back a little more often to see my, my folks. 
uh, who still live in the same house, you know, that we grew up in. Oh, wow. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, I moved out at 18 and never went back. Like yeah. I went to Chicago for school and I never really called St. Louis home again. And so I still uh-huh. feel a little bit disconnected to it other than like a few things, you know, right. Other than the Cardinals and, and my, my folks and, um, baseball fan big time. Nice. I'm a sports fan in general, actually, which is kind of a lot of people are surprised to hear that who know me well. They're like, you don't really, <laughs> well, I certainly was never played, was good at playing sports, you right. know? And, um, but yeah, I like sports. That's um, cool. I do too. And, uh, and yeah, so St. Louis, but it's changed a lot. That city I think is finally, from what I understand, I think it's finding its sea legs a little bit because for years it, it was just declining in population, like from 19, it, it was one of the biggest cities in the country in 1950. Yeah. And then it like, it got you know, farther and farther down the list. And I think now it's really coming into its own as a smaller city. You know? Right. Um, yeah. What What was the major industry there? Um, Besides beer, I guess. Yeah. Um, or is it beer? It, 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 it's uh, McDonnell Douglas um, mm, okay. is there and, um, and Monsanto is there oh. and uh, Boo. Purina <laughs> is there Yay. and Budweiser. So like, I would say those are, Probably TWA used to be there before right. they were, before they left town. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those were the major industries that I can recall. I'm probably forgetting something, but yeah, Monsanto and, and McDonnell Douglas and Budweiser. Now, did you uh, did you act growing up? Was it something that all of you guys were sort of involved in early on? Yes. Um, and I was. I think. I mean, all my siblings were into acting and being on stage. They all did plays. At least they started doing plays in high school. Um, I feel like I was sort of the most gung ho about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they would say that same thing, but I, I think I'm the only one who like, when you asked me when I was six years old, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said an actor. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I used to go see all their, all their plays in high school and like, just, I would want to be up there so bad. I would want to like, I would want to play every role that I saw. You know, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. But uh, a family, a large family consuming pop culture and movies. I mean, did you guys just sit around and watch movies and TV as, as a group of siblings? Constantly. Yeah. That's the TV the was always on. And then once like, you know, VCRs came around, um, you know, we were, we were like the first kids in our school that I knew who had a, v- got a VCR probably. Yeah. You know, and I remember the. I remember that um, there's a place called Uncle Toots. That uh, <laughs> man, I love those old mom and pop shops. Yeah, that, that rented. <laughs> it was the first place in town, and they rented videos. And you know, I don't even know what year that would have been. Early '80s, probably. Yeah. Um. And uh, and the fir- first movies we rented were. Steve McQueen, the hunter, it's one of them. Oh, I love that movie. And uh, he's and the bounty hunter. Else. Yeah, uh, that was one of his last movies. And I was probably a little too young to watch that one. I don't think I watched all of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and they were t- the rentals were ten dollars a piece. Oh my god, um, which was incredibly expensive. Like yeah. they ended up, you know, within five six years, they were two dollars a blockbuster. Yeah, they were four for ten. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, once we had a VCR, you know, we'd. In my family, there'd be two or three movies a night that were rented, and they would just always be there. Yeah, you know, and and I I feel like growing up, 
I almost always had the option of watching a movie with one of my siblings yeah. if I wanted to do that That's awesome. that night. Uh-huh. You know, like someone would go down to the basement and watch a movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so they were all, I was always a little younger when they were teenagers and uh-huh. whatever, but sometimes they'd go out, but sometimes they'd stay in and watch a movie, and right. I could always watch that movie with them. And I, I often did. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, I'm the youngest, only of three, but uh, I definitely definitely get that yeah that thing and being the youngest and yeah when the older siblings shine a light on you and stuff. It's kind of fun. That's the greatest thing about being the youngest is you get to absorb all of the yeah all of the things that they you know like like I I don't know just pulling an example off the top of my head like even though I was born in '74 like. I don't know when Frampton Comes Alive came out, but <laughs> but it's part of the fabric of my yeah. childhood just because I would hear my older siblings and their friends talk about it. Yeah. Are things that were, you know, from the, that should have been before my time mm-hmm. feel like they weren't. Yeah. And then I got that all throughout, you know? Yeah. I think we, I've talked to a lot of people in here and that's a common thread is like that it's usually a sibling that just that culture feed and uh, mm-hmm. obviously as a younger or if it's an old, you know, a neighbor or anything, anyone, it's always someone a few years older, though. Yeah. That you're like, oh, well, they think that's cool. Then I'm fucking all over it. Absolutely. And it, and, and it was everything, you know, music. Yeah. Music, big time. Movies, big time. What kind of music? Um, Man, you know, my brothers, Jimmy and Patrick were really, uh, I call James Jimmy still. Um, we're, we're really... Um, they were kind of like old school. They were, they were punks and then mm-hmm. mods, you know. Right. Um, really into, like their tastes were just different enough that that they covered all of all of that particular part of it. Uh-huh. And Jimmy was always. They were both always so into music that they always liked a little of everything. Yeah. So it's like Jimmy also, you know, they loved both loved Queen and loved. Oh man. Um and and Jimmy loved like Alice Cooper and yeah and some bands like that. But then they were also just super into the Clash and the Sex Pistols. Right. And, and um and I shared a room with my brother Patrick, and he would listen to an album. As he went to sleep every single night, <laughs> and and I didn't. I mean, the idea that I had a choice whether or not right. to listen to an album was is <laughs> not even was not even in my register. You sure, know? Um, but yeah, and so those that was a lot of Elvis Costello, uh-huh. uh, Split Ends, the Boomtown Rats. Oh yeah, um, you know, uh, gosh, there's so many. You know, there, there, I, I could I could go on and on. Um, but yeah, but then, you know, but then that continued. And then, then I also got into when, when my brother Brian got really into like, uh, Prince and, yeah. and, um, you know, the Pixies a little later and that's kind and of the like great thing about T-Rex and yeah. yeah, that like, I'm a, I'm a couple years older than you, but back then you could listen to Prince and Michael Jackson and also the clash and whatever else. I mean, it was sort of that, uh. American Top 40 effect where mm-hmm. it was all in there. Yeah. You know, and every Sunday afternoon, Casey Kasem was kind of yeah. little, preaching the gospel, you know. And then when I was 14, Straight Outta Compton came out. And so I was like yeah. right in the pocket of of the cool kids in my school Yeah, got into rap. And then I started listening to Ice Cube. And I, I'm still now, I became this insane rap aficionado. And now yeah. I'm like early 90s hip hop all, all the way through. But like, that's what. Nowadays, I listen to like '90s hip hop and '70s 
like country folk singer songwriter yeah. music more than anything. <laughs> Is Joni Mitchell of the Far Side? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Right. Like um, that was when I listened to hip hop. I was I was talking to someone about it the other day. I haven't a lot since, but like eighty seven through mid nineties, like eighty seven through ninety seven with mm-hmm. Tribe and Far Side and. You I've know, been talking Boys for and... years. You'd probably be the guy to talk to about this, but I've been talking for years about doing a podcast about um, about uh, hip hop music, particularly yeah. focused on on that era. Because I go super, super deep. Like I'm, I'm a I'm a maniac for it, um, and I feel like I meet people who say that all the time that loved the hip hop from back then uh-huh. um, and aren't as into it anymore. And I want to preach to them a little bit that. Even from then, there's so much that I guarantee they haven't heard that what they would love. Yeah. That like, you know, if they went back and and hold heard some of those some of the old records from like particularly like ninety to ninety five. Yeah, you know? we were into it. Yeah, it was it was a pretty like inspiring time. Yeah, uh, to be listening to music, I think. Yeah, and and I want to. It was the Stranger Things guys, and Gelman was saying that he's still really into it, and he's like the new stuff is different, but he loves it. And I'm not one of these people. It's like ah, oh, it's no good anymore. Yeah, I just sort of it just sort of fell away from me a bit. There's always great new music. You, you know what? I'm I'm much less down on hip hop nowadays than I am on rock music. Like uh, there's hip hop today yeah. that I'm like, if you know where to look for it, there's still great hip hop music sure. being made. It's not on the radio, but there's yeah. still great. Whereas rock music, that's why I don't listen to modern rock music anymore. I li- I like I'm like I don't even know what it, that is. I, exactly. Yeah. It's like or where it, it lives. Even when I he- would hear. Bands that like, you know, I guess this is now five or ten years ago that I would have have friends that were really into like, I don't know, like Band of Horses or yeah. or uh, um, you know, um, Arcade Fire or yeah. like these bands, which I could hear it and recognize that it was good, but I'm like, I don't, I can't listen to this anymore. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like, and it it all. It all feels derivative to me in some sense, but whatever. it kind of is actually. Yeah, uh, and in fact, again with the uh, Joe Carey was he's a musician and in a band, and he was talking about that how everything just sort of everyone's just like oh they're doing sort of this their version of this old classic group. Yeah, and maybe that's just the way it goes. Yeah, though. like how much ground can you break? Yeah, it was already broken. Um, yeah, I remember like I'll, I'll hear a you know. Like my friend was like, "Oh, this is so, um, um, you know, this band Tune Yards is yeah. so innovative. Like they're so different." Mm-hmm. And I hear it, and I'm like, "This sounds exactly like this band from like '81, right? You know that I <laughs> that I remember like almost exactly. Like it yeah. sounds, it's like the 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 mix is a little different, but yeah. other than that, the music is is almost the same as anyway." I just saw them uh, open for David Byrne. Tune Yards? Uh-huh. They are a good band. I'm yeah. not saying that like, oh, No, man, it was good. Gonna, yeah. But yeah. I, I would I would say the same thing. Is yeah. that like, yeah, they're, it's good stuff, though. Yeah. In case you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so you mentioned college in Chicago. Was that, yes. did you study acting there or was it just regular old college? Totally. I went to the, the Goodman School of Drama. Yeah, well, there you have it. Um, at, um, at DePaul University. And which was a full on conservatory. Like I, I had, you know, I had very minimal, um, uh, credits of other kinds that I needed to take. It was like voice and speech movement, acting classes all Uh the time. It's like fully immersive. Yeah. And I was, 
I was really geared to that towards that my whole, you know, like I knew when I went to high school, I was, I was pretty, you know, I was a smart kid and that, but I would slack off in grades mm-hmm. and I would tell my parents, I'm going, I'm going to go to an acting school. Right. So my grades don't matter as much. <laughs> and they would get so mad at me, but really? I won those arguments and right. in retrospect. Yeah, um, exactly. But I, uh, <laughs> In your face. Yeah. Mom and dad. <laughs> I know. But, um, but yeah, it was always, and I, and, and, uh, and I, I remember my parents went with me to the, the interview when I got into, to DePaul because it was, all, I really just auditioned for like the three or four best programs, according to the books that I read, right? you know, in the country. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And this one was, it was like, most of them said like Juilliard, Yale, um, DePaul, uh, w- which was used to be the Goodman and then they had to change the name. But, um, and, um, and, and so I, I got into that's the one I got into. Yeah. And I remember going to the interview with my folks and them talking about how intense the program was and how you, you know, mm-hmm. you'd be there all day and then you'd have rehearsals. And the first year you're just on crew for plays yeah. and you're basically, they take up your time from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. Wow. And, and you got cut at the end of the, they cut students at the end of each of the first two years. Really? Um, they don't do that anymore, but they used to. Huh. And I remember my parents thinking, saying to me that they expected me to like shy away from it after I heard all that stuff. Cause I think they, they thought I was lazy. Right. But I was like, no, that's it. That's exactly what I want. I want to be doing that all the time. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and did plays there, I guess. I did tons of play. I mean, one after another, the first year is like crew. And then the second year they're like workshop plays that you do in a, in a classroom and, and just the teachers see them and grade them and stuff like that. And then the third and fourth year, you're like in the casting pool where you could get cast in what was the main stage play, which is a massive theater. It's like, a th- you know, it's hold s- several thousand people oh, in wow. downtown Chicago. Yeah. So like it was, there was a lot of opportunity to, to act in front of, you know, like I did a kid's show in my, in my third year of school and we would have shows Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday, like Tuesday and Thursday morning, and then Saturday matinee. Wow. Um, for, you know, we ran for 10 weeks or something like that mm-hmm. and playing in front of 2000 people, every single performance. So Man, like, that's crazy. Yeah. in in college, you and know? so you were like 19, 20 years old doing that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I would have been, I would have been yeah, almost 20, I guess. Well, and that's such great training too, to, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to learn it in the classroom, which is super valuable, but to throw you out on stage in front of like a legit crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now most of those were kids because it was the kids play. But even when you did the other ones, like they would only, they wouldn't run for weeks and weeks, but you know, you'd do, you'd run two weekends or whatever Mm -hmm. and, and you'd never fill the balcony, but you'd still be in front of hundreds and hundreds of people for, you know, in, in, in a theater, the size of the biggest, you know, I mean. As big as any is Broadway houses, right. you know, like yeah. this this massive theater, the Merle Ruskin Theater. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, it was super competitive. People got cut after each of the first two years, which was really intense. Um, was it good competitive or sort of mm, like healthy competitive? It's hard for me to know. Yeah, these days, I, when I look back on those days. You know, Rooker went to the same school, by the way. Michael Rooker, my 
friend and and um you know who i've oh yeah worked with so much uh-huh. and, and over the years and he went to the same school and he thought the he's always said he thinks that the the cutting process was great right he's like that's exactly how hard hardcore it is once you nobody babies you once you graduate yeah, i mean it's good training you know the real world training the acting world yeah it's like it's brutal being an actor is can be just vicious mm-hmm. you know that can be it 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 remains vicious even after you've made it. But, right. um, but, and he loved it. I don't know. I, I, there's parts of me, I don't know. I, I don't know how I would do it differently if I ran the school. I yeah. know they don't cut people anymore. I know that I was very nearly cut, which a, a teacher, um, uh, a, a teacher, uh, confirmed to me really? later afterwards that I was on the bubble and I'd gotten warned. You'd get a warning and, uh-huh. um, and I was, I was on the bubble. I was warned, and I had to do a final scene um, in front of the faculty, mm. which we all did. And the faculty really thought I was really good in that scene, and they decided to keep, to keep me. Do you remember what scene? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was from um, what is still a play that I still want to do right now, um, which is probably like just pro- probably my second favorite play ever. Um, and it's the birthday party, uh, by Harold Pinter. Oh yeah. And the, the character of Stanley, who's like a, it's a great role for me. He's like, a, cause he's, I don't know, insane <laughs> uh, introvert. I mean, I don't know why I say it's a perfect role for me, but it feels like it is when I read it. Right. Um, and I did that, um, I did that scene with my friend Jennifer Allison, who's still a like magnificent theater teacher and does like these great avant-garde uh, plays in Chicago. Um, and, uh, and I, I guess it was good enough to save me. Yeah. But I think back on that and I'm like, if I, if I'd had a really bad day that day, or if I had spit the bit somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, and had a bad scene and then I got cut, I don't know how much that would have devastated certainly my career, right. but probably my lot, my whole life would have. Yeah. yeah. I think it really, I think it would have had an absolutely traumatic effect on my effect on my entire life. Like you would have quit. Do you think I, I honestly do not know what I would have done. Yeah. I think, I, I think, um, I think I probably was fragile enough that I would have quit and I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I don't know what I was, and I still had a big enough ego that at that time I didn't think I was that close. Right. It wasn't, and I was like, God, was I really? And then I asked this teacher after, after I graduated, yeah. I was like, was I really close? And he went, oh yeah, oh yeah, you were really close. And I was yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, it freaked me out. And, and so now, yeah, so now I look back and I'm like, was that a good, was that a positive way to yeah. treat a human being who's 22 years old? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Not, not tw- no, I wouldn't have been. Tw- it was after my second year. So I would have been younger than you that, know, yeah. 19 or tw- just turned 20. Yeah. And is that the right way to treat right. a 20-year-old who is trying with everything in their power to learn a craft? Yeah. Probably not. I think is my answer to that question. Yeah, I might agree with you there. But I don't know. It's complicated, you know? Yeah. And then I look back, I got a buddy now who I went to school with who who is a great actor who who works a lot less than he should. Mm-hmm. And we talk sometimes about, I'm like, yeah, I was a much better actor when I graduated from this conservatory, but 
I also aged from 18 to 22. Yeah. How much better would I have been if I just started moved acting. to LA yeah. and got in a class and started trying to get auditions? Like, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I have no idea how much it helped me in the long run. Right. It made me who I am, but, but was it good? I don't know. Did you have fun? Um, yes, I did. And definitely the best thing about it was I met these certain people that I, that are still like a, a core part of my, um, not, not just my best friends, but the, of my like collaborative yeah. community, you know, That's my cool. friend Valentine Mealy, who's done a, who's done some movies for my brother, who, who's a great actor and my friend, John Cabrera, who's, who's now m- almost entirely like writing and creating and, and, um, and Judy Greer, my old friend, who's doing great. She's oh, in a, wow. yeah. She's an old friend? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was a year behind Man, me in school. She is the best. She's amazing. And she's, um, you know, she's uh, she's as good of a friend as I will ever have in my oh, life. Oh, man. That's um, that's good to know that she's I cool. performed her wedding ceremony. And oh, I, wow. I was the officiant of her wedding. That's great. Yeah. She's Man, great. I she's amazing. Her. I could I could go on and on about what an amazing person she is. Um, but, yeah. And so there's all these these friends that I've... The, the, this like sort of main little group of friends that I made that 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 was definitely the best that was probably worth it mm-hmm. you know for sure you know and maybe that's why you're there really is just for that <laughs> I mean, yeah that, my college experience it, I could probably say the same thing at the end of the day I don't know yeah don't know. so did you go to LA kind of right after that or I spent one year in Chicago uh-huh. for some reason and I look back at this now as being so fucked up but like but, like, they really encouraged you at my school to just, like, have this sort of, to stick your nose up at, at not just L.A., but acting yeah. on camera in right. general. And it was like theater actors are real actors. Right. And yeah. film and TV actors are, like, slumming it or, like, I think you that's know, still a thing, for like, sure. Yeah. And you hear so many people, like, I want to do, you know, like, my goal would be to do just enough, just enough, like, work on TV and film to support my theater habit. Like, <laughs> like you hear people say that and there are people that do that, but I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's, you're, there's, it's, it's mostly full of shit. Some of those people, uh-huh. a lot of those people are great actors and like are, yeah. are really, but I, I don't know. I, for me, what happened was, okay, so, so I graduated and we were like, we're going to start a theater company mm-hmm. and do plays and do these weird plays. I was directing a lot of theater at that time. Um, but by the time I graduated, I'd really gotten into directing theater and, um, I bet that's fun. I love it. It's something I haven't done in, in years and I miss it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and we, and we, uh, and so we started this theater company. We did open this coffee shop that had a theater in the basement Yeah, and (laughs) did that for like a year. And Uh we were pretty good. Okay. At running a theater company uh-huh. and not good at running a coffee shop. Uh, oh, um, so it was part of it. Yeah, it was like part of the whole thing. And my friends and I started this thing and it's and and so we did shows downstairs and um you know I I did some work like I directed a couple of plays that I was really super super proud of. Um another Pinter play the hot house that I directed that I'm like this is awesome and like I I uh, we were all too young to be, they were all, I was directing, but the actors were all too young to play the roles, but still, right. Um, I was like, I, I'm really proud of this work. And yet, and we ran for six weeks or mm-hmm. whatever, but when you add it all together, what it may be 300, you know, like right. 500 people see this play. Yeah. And then I did a commercial for the Illinois lottery 
and I got paid mm-hmm. and tons of people I knew saw it and yeah. said that they saw it <laughs> and, and, you know, it was all over and people <clears throat> saw my face and then yeah. that was, and, and I was like, there's gotta be a way to marry these two things where I do something that I love right. and that I'm proud of, but, but that you're a not lot in the black box theater. Yeah. See. And then I did this movie, this, um, not good, uh, independent movie called stricken, but that was my first taste of like, I, like it was on location. We went up to right. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. And, um, Jamie Kennedy, this actor from, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was, who, who used to be my very good friend back in the day. And I haven't seen him in many years, but, um, uh, but he, he was in that movie. And so he came from LA, right. a couple of the actors came from LA and, um, and I would talk to them about what it was like to act out there. And I remember very vividly that, um, that Jamie and I, I'd auditioned for this play at a really reputable theater in Chicago, um, a court theater that did mm-hmm. like, all, like it was really great, um, theater that did a lot of Shakespeare, um, and, and, and classic plays and i had auditioned and i was waiting to hear from from them and then and went, while i was doing this movie and i remember going out one night with jamie and a couple other people judy was in that movie too by the way judy here was in that movie too um and uh and coming back to the hotel mm-hmm. and jamie having a manila envelope there waiting for him with script just delivered to him mm-hmm. to read and see if he was interested in and I was like, I want that. Right. I want to be, I want to be, I want somebody delivering a script to me to yeah, see if to I'm consider. interested. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I want. And, uh-huh. a, and about a week or so later, I got the part at the court theater. And it was like, either this will be your first paid, um, this will be your first paid acting job. They yeah. were to make me equity and pay me like 300 bucks a week or something, which was really good sure. for a theater actor. Um, and, uh, um, but it was Chicago winter. It was going to run from, <laughs> I'd been thinking about moving to LA right. and I was going to have to stay then instead of moving in October, I was going to stay from like, stay through February or March or yeah, whatever. The worst time. For the Chicago thing. And I'm like, nah, if I keep, if I put it off, I may just keep putting it off and putting it off right. and putting it off. And so I moved to LA with nothing. As a kid, really. Yeah. Looking back, I mean, yeah. you're early twenties. But I, I had a lot of confidence at that time because. In the in that year that I w- that in between graduating and when I left, I I started auditioning first like in addition to the movie. I mm-hmm. also did a bunch. I did like set. I booked like seven commercials in four months or something. Right. Um. And so I got this idea that oh, I'm I I can get hired. Like I right. can if I can get auditions, I can get jobs. I'm starting to learn how to get jobs. Right. And so I had a lot of confidence that like if I can just get. If I can just get an agent, I'll be able to book work. How tough is it to learn how to audition? Because that's a that's a brutal. I used to when I was a PA years ago in LA. I used to occasionally just run camera on casting sessions, and I remember just sitting there thinking, "My God, what a what a brutal process." Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you this: they did a very poor job of teaching us how to do it at the at the theater school that I went to. Yeah, at I least they for, should do more of that, right? Audition. Like, I was great at auditioning for theater, and, uh-huh. then, you did, and then you hardly ever do that. Right. At least I did. Um, and then, yeah, like we had one on camera class in our fourth year, and it was not great. And um, and I think that it is. I think it's something that 
every actor really needs to think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some people have a knack for it. I'm very, very lucky in that I was pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was, I knew, I knew for sure actors that I thought were, you know, no worse than I was, who I thought were terrific actors that did not have the audition skills that I had. It's almost like being like, I'm smart, but I'm not a good test taker. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's a certain amount of folk, you know, like there's a certain amount of focus you need to be able to, um, to, to audition well and, and confidence for sure. Yeah. You know, you can't ever seem like you need the job or you're right. dead in the water. But know? also I imagine you also have to walk a line between being too cocky or. Yeah, totally. Totally. I don't, I don't even, to be honest, I know I'm okay. I still don't know if I'm that good at it. You know, like I know that I was, <laughs> I was good then cause I was getting booked a lot. And yeah. now it's like, uh, now even, even though I don't even have to do it all the time now, um, there are times when I know that I like everything. There's so many self tapes now. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's been really? a couple of times when I audition for things where I make my own tape. And I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. You know? And I send it in and like I don't get it or I don't right. doesn't move any further. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong there, but it certainly well, felt good. But also with a little bit of age and experience, you also know that there are a million totally. reasons that have nothing to do with how good you are. Totally. It's and I and I've been on the other side now too. I've been I've been I've auditioned people for right. stuff, you know, I've been a producer on a project where I see uh-huh. things or, you know, where I've, um, you know, a, a, a friend will be casting something and, and show me three or four audition tapes and say, who do you like the best and why? And like, and so I know what goes into that. And I know, I know how really how, how truly, um, r- not random, but like it, it's like sometimes you get somebody who's like, I don't know, I just really see this character having dark hair or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes that's it or sometimes like, ah, eh, they look a little too much, like whatever. You know, yeah, I pictured him being, you know, 10 years older. And there's there's, there's always yeah. so many things. Um, That said, I also do think that I'm, I do still think, I mean, this is easy, easier for a working actor to say than a non-working one, but... I do still think that if you're good enough, you'll make it. Right. You know, that's got to be a little heartening and driven. Yeah. You know, you have to be, you have to have a little bit of, you have to have enough drive, mm-hmm. but I do feel like it may take you a longer time. Right. You know, um, but I feel like if you're good at it, you'll make it. I think that's especially true of writers and, and directors. Um, but, um, but I still, I feel like, I, f- I feel like that's true. Mm-hmm. And I still feel like I love, I mean, my, just about my favorite thing is that I feel like my work is, is getting better, you know, my, like trying to be a better actor now than mm-hmm. I ever was is like not only something I'm really driven by, but it's also one of the great joys of my life. Like yeah. that's, that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning wanting yeah. to like play a role and be better than I've ever been in anything yeah. else. Like, you know. Yeah. I imagine even, uh, even Meryl Streep is still learning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a it's not a job where you shut it down and you're like, all right, well, I kind of know all the tricks. Yeah, I'm sure you develop a bag of tricks, but it, it's kind of one of the cool things. It's like a living, breathing thing. Yeah, yeah. It's been one of the weird things about a, about 
now I'm segueing for you, but one of the weird things about work about like working on the Avengers movies has been yeah. has been working with so many just extraordinarily famous and successful actors. Yeah, you know, on a daily basis, and and seeing what their relationship to their job is, you know, um, and for the most part, it's really good. But you also see people who like, like you know, Hollywood gets you down and you get burnt out. Yeah, and being famous makes your job harder. I mean. I, I hate, I know it's like boo hoo. I don't want to, you know, it's like, like people who are famous have it easier in so many ways. But as an actor, when you're famous, people start treating you differently. Right. And part of your craft has to be understanding how people behave. Mm-hmm. And so just those, there's a little bit of a disconnect between those two things. So, yeah. so you get more and more famous, it gets harder and harder in some ways to like sort of understand how people behave you know yeah yeah but i don't know i think some i think they get burnt out on it that's why i kind of like try to i don't know i try to be able to 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 have my career and then also step out of it and have a bird's eye view of it yeah make sure i can watch it yeah man guardians was such a cool movie like and i'm into all the marvel stuff but when that came out I, i wasn't one who ever read like the comics so i didn't know anything about that that series or whatever those characters and I was just blown away, man. It was so original and fun, and it was a world that I had never seen, and the spaceships looked different than I had ever seen. Like, everything about it was just so original yeah. and fun. And um, and you and you had a bigger part in the second one, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of those movies and, and proud of my brother. You know, he, for sure. They're really... Um, I mean, there's so many different creative minds that go into a project like that, but you also I can't need imagine that undertaking. You need a captain steering the whole ship, mm-hmm. you know, pointing it in the right direction, and um, and like those movies are so much my brother. They are just like so much like him. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And and he and he's a maniac. He's the most. He he prepares to a, a degree that is just insane. So he he kind of has the, a lot of the movie in his head already when 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 we even start filming and we right. get to see you know full animatics of every scene and mm-hmm. he has um like all of the songs on the soundtrack are they get the rights before they start shooting so that we can actually often like play them on set to the scenes that they're right. playing under and which really sets the mood and some of the score is also mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Bates does some some of the um, score for some key scenes particularly like fight scenes and things like that so that they can be choreographed to, to like sort of a rough version of the score and yeah. things like that and and um, and my brother is like way into all that stuff yeah and he has his hands in everything I mm-hmm. mean every there's no, there's no detail in that movie, in either of those movies that weren't completely his idea or at least okayed by him. There's yeah. nothing that like, there's nothing that he's like, oh, you know, like it's everything is, is he, he's, he manages yeah, the shit out th- of everything. I think there is a, an incorrect notion out there in some people's minds that for a movie that size, and all movies take a great number of people, don't get me wrong, as you know. To, mm-hmm. to make it successful on screen, but that somehow a director is not as involved as um, in something like that as like a smaller movie, and which which James 
I mean, he started his career with those small budget uh, trauma movies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's just bullshit, right? Right. Totally. Totally. I mean, I, I, I might say that if you get to a certain level and you're directing a movie that big, you might have more of an opportunity to, to, to have. To, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You might have more of an opportunity to coast than you would if you were making a small budget movie. Right. Where you've got to get your hands dirty or the movie's not going to get made. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's any, like, the, the movie's going to suck if you do. Mm-hmm. The movie's, you know, so I, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any less important to be sort of totally on top of everything you're doing right. in a big budget movie. Yeah. You know, the, the job is a little different, but it's not a lot different. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, where do you stand for Guardians 3? Can you talk about that or? Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I. I don't know exactly. So, I mean, I'm, um, I, I was in the sort of rare position where I, I had not quite finished my deal. So I was still sort of negotiating for the movie when, um, you know, all the nonsense that happened with my brother and he got in, in trouble for old tweets, which was a very strange experience. Yeah. But for me, um, I was just sort of put out in limbo and I, I, I think that um, I do believe that the movie is going to get made, but I don't know when. Yeah. Um, I do believe I will be involved, but I don't know for sure. Right. And um, and I I've I've been in the business now long enough to know that until something is actually happening, it's right. not happening. Yeah. So uh, I'm just living my life and my career as though it's never going to get made. Right. Um, but I I hope I get uh, you know, I hope. I get news to the contrary. Um, it was such a fun group. Uh, I can't even remember the guys, the the group of dudes. Um, which groups? Of dudes? Well, I mean, in the, your, the gang of sort of space rednecks. Oh, oh, in the Ravagers. Yeah, 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 it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just such a like. The, <laughs> you were all so funny. Um, I know Steve Ag a little bit, so I love Steve Ag. He, he had such a, a good time. He's become a good friend. And, yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. And Rooker and and yeah, and, and so all those great. guys. My old friend Evan Jones is in it. And, Did you guys um, like kind of form a? I know sometimes on movies like that, like you're sort of form the unit. Yeah, and a lot of us set. knew each other already. Um, but yeah, I think the the uh, the Ravagers feel a special uh-huh. kinship with one another. <laughs> and Chris Sullivan, who's like whose career is blowing up now, who uh, he's no, on This Is Us, and oh, he was yeah. on. Uh, He's in Stranger Things, and he used to be on the Nick, and he's an right. amazing actor, like one of the best I've ever known, probably. And he played Taserface. Okay. And uh, and getting to know him and have him be a he's such a great member of an ensemble. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, it was it was it was awesome. And that's the other like that's the other thing I will say about my brother is that he does a great job of doing his homework about people. Mm-hmm. In addition to like finding good actors, he finds good people. Right. Because you're going to be, you know, making a movie together for six months or more. You don't want to work with assholes. And (laughs) yeah, you don't want to work with assholes. Life is too short for like diva nonsense and things like that. And so, um, and it's, it's why, you know, like I love, I love a lot of the people I've worked with over the years for different reasons, but like Chris Pratt and Zoe and Dave Bautista and Palm and Karen and Michael Rooker, mm-hmm. you know, um, and several more. But that sort of main 
group of the Guardians family, they really do feel like family to me. I love, yeah. I love them. And uh, that's great. And I would, uh, I would gladly go to battle with any one of them. Yeah, Pratt is so funny in those movies. He's so great. I mean, he's funny anyway. I was a big fan for. He's a great uh, dude. Years ago, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just so funny. And and then in the Avengers movie, some of the best stuff was uh, was he and, and yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr. going at it. Yeah, I know. I love that. I <laughs> it's love so it. great. I love it. And Bautista, who knew? Who knew that that guy was that fucking funny? Oh man, it was one of the great joys for me. It was like. Because I was there when Dave had his screen tests because I, you know, worked with my brother for so long. He wanted my help with various things along the way. Right. And um, and so for a lot of the actors screen tests, I uh, I would read Quill with the Draxes mm-hmm. or um, uh, and Rocket with the Quills. Right. And so I got to see a lot of people um, audition uh, and um, and Bautista came in for a work session before. Before he had his screen test and he was like so nervous um, and so quiet. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this poor guy is just going to tank. You yeah. know, like he can't, like he's obviously this pressure is going to be too much for him. Right. And he's so good. He was it, so good. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he stole that first movie in a lot of ways. He's so good. He's like great. And he, and, um, and he loves it. It's like, it's like a perfect microcosm of the whole movie you know yeah, like yeah. he loves he loved the material so so much you yeah. know and like i think he was so happy to to be able to play that role every yeah. day and like and he was so grateful and so great to have around and and what a champion he is he'd have like four or five hours of makeup yeah. a lot of which he needs to keep his arms outstretched the whole time wow. you know yeah. or stand during tons of it yeah and like what a, what a, a champion yeah i just um, thought it was so sweet how how much he got your brother's back yes that was great it was cool to see yeah i thought it was amazing and i was not at all surprised to be yeah. honest um i hope D- dave it, it, it takes that as a compliment that like like i've always known that dave is a stand-up of a guy is you'd ever want to meet. Yeah. Like I w- I could rely on that guy. He's as trustworthy as anybody I've ever known. That's great. Yeah. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Cause there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy! But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. Before we move on to our film, uh, I want to talk about the Gilmore Girls for a minute because... Mm. Uh, everyone, you're such a fan. <laughs> well, I met, I met you a few weeks ago at a wedding in uh-huh. Santa Barbara of a mutual friend. Um, and 
uh, you were seated at my table. Yes. At, at our dinner table. Yeah, the and, Atlanta posse. Yeah, yeah. And my <laughs> wife, Emily, uh, who you met, was, she's like, who is that guy? And I was like, that's Sean Gunn. She's like, yeah, but who is he? It's like, he was in, he was in Guardians. She <laughs> didn't see that. Right. And uh, and then it hit me. I was like, oh, I was like, he was in Gilmore Girls. Yeah, there And she you was go. like, oh, of course, because she was a big fan. Yeah. And uh, just, just couldn't quite place it. Yeah, that was. You, a... you were such a fresh face. Uh, youngin and Gilmore Girls. Looking back, yes, and that was an interesting, like uh, that was an interesting ride. Gilmore Girls and was still that kind of is. the first big one. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, I started booking pretty, pretty well. Like when I finally started getting jobs in LA, I was doing like lots of of like little guest star and co star roles, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, recurred on a couple of shows, just like got a second episode or whatever, right? And, and um, working actor, man, that's. And I, yeah, totally the way to do it. I did that. um, I did, I auditioned for Gilmore Girls, which was a co-star role. Um, My agent at the time recommended that I pass on the audition because they thought that I was better, that I should start just focusing on, on guest stars and not take co-stars where if you're in the world, you know, guest stars like a notch above, you know, Uh Um, and um, I thought that I shouldn't, it was, it was an audition for the DSL installer, mm-hmm. which ages me and the show, but, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, that was the character's name Yeah, <laughs> and it was one scene. And I was like, and I said to my man, my manager was like, uh, you know, your agent doesn't want you to want you to pass on this, but I know, um, you know, Mark Casey, one of the, is one of the casting directors from Chicago and she's really cool and it'd be good to get in front of her and read mm-hmm. something. And, um, and it, I think, you know, I don't see any harm if you, if you're interested. And I was like, um, well, I'll read the scene. And if it's, you know, if it's interesting at all, mm-hmm. I'll audition. Um, you know, I just didn't want to be like, you know, you know, may I offer you a chicken leg? Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I, uh, so I read it and it was like, it was like just a little page long page, page and a half long scene, but it was really funny. And I understood the, I understood the tone of it and everything. And, um, and I went in and I, uh, I got that job, went on my, uh, you know, had my day of work and it was fun and whatever. And I was like, yeah. okay, well that's uh, whatever, another one. And then, and then a couple of weeks later, my manager called me and said, Hey, you're booked for another episode of Gilmore Girls. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> no kidding. So they're bringing, how they're, they're bringing back the DSL. Was that like? season one? That yeah. Was the season very one. That was the first episode. It was, it was episode two of season one oh, that wow. I was on. So they shot the pilot in Toronto and then this was their first episode uh-huh. um, in shooting in, in um, at Warner Brothers, on the Warner Brothers lot. Right. Um, and so I was like, oh, wow, they're bringing back this character. And then I read the, the role and it was a different, it was a, like a guy delivering swans <laughs> to a wedding. Yeah. And I learned later that what happened was they'd seen a couple of actors to audition for this swan delivery guy. <laughs> and Amy Palladino, the creator of the show, um, said to the casting directors, now, I, I want a guy like that guy who played the DSL installer. Yeah. And, um, and Jamie Rudofsky, who's the, who was the other casting director, bless her heart, said to Amy, why don't you just hire that guy again? Uh-huh. You know? Like and, like like, <laughs> and have it be just like a thing where uh-huh. it's weird. And I guess Amy thought about it. She's like, she thought it was kind of a funny idea. Yeah. And so they hired me again. And then it became a running joke on the show that I would pop up all over town. Like, yeah. and, and so I kept getting, it kept asking me back uh-huh. um, episode after episode. 
to I ended up doing 11 episodes that first season. And I would just pop up wherever when uh-huh. they needed somebody. And they, then they gave my character a name and they, I, right. I became sort of a townsperson. But I thought every episode I did would be my last. Uh-huh. And then. How um, many years were you on that show? Se- it ended up being seven. <laughs> That's crazy. All seven. So, yeah. So then I did two years like that. I did another 17 episodes my second, the second year. And then they asked me to be a series regular because I, uh-huh. I was maybe going to go do another show. And, um, and so it was never something that, like, I never got that moment where it was like, yes, I got this amazing role, you right, know? Right, right. It just always it was something that just sort of kind of continued. Uh-huh. And I always thought, well, this will go away at some point. Right. <laughs> and, and not only did it, so then... The, the, the craziest thing about that story is so then not only did it li- that not then it became series regular, did the show five more seasons as a regular. Then the show went away. It ended in 2007. Um, and it was it was a, a modest hit for the CW, but it wasn't a it wasn't a massive, massive show. It was a popular show though. But well that it was it was it was modestly popular. Yeah. And then about um, six or seven years later, um, it got on Netflix. Yeah, and it became massive. Oh, it is that became, what happened? Yes. Then it became people started binge watching it. Mm-hmm. It started, and also when the DVD the DVD sales were great. Right. So like when it was when it first came out, it was like an early binge watching show. Yeah. And so when the DVD sets the DVD sets sold way better than tons of shows that that performed better at the ratings uh-huh. when it, when it was on originally. And then it was on Netflix and then it became, and then it was just became this massive, that's great. Like almost this c- cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. to the point that when, that when uh, Netflix then decided to bring it back and shoot more episodes, which we did in, in 2016. Yeah. Like I was on the tonight show. I uh-huh. mean, it was amazing. It was, <laughs> it, and it, it was mind blowing. It really was. It was like, this is, Something I worked on a decade ago. I know. You know, and now it's more popular. I I started getting, you know, like I got recognized here and there from Uh it back in 2006, 2007 at at, at the end of its run. I I had, you know, but then 2014, 15, (laughs) everywhere I went all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Like 30 to 40 year old ladies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And still, and then they got younger again. And then they also, when the, with oh, the revival yeah. uh-huh. and stuff, younger, like, and like tons of, like, I used to watch this as a kid and now I watch it with my daughter. For sure. I hear that all the time, which yeah, is that, really heartwarming. And that's cool. really cool. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. What a I'm cool, lucky. like, surprise. I'm lucky. It was great material and it was great. It was, I, I loved it. Going back to do it again was amazing because it was fun in a way that, like, originally I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing this kind of silly little show, but. The writing was really pretty good, though. It was great. Like, I've, I've seen great. enough of them with Emily that to recognize, like, good, snappy. Yes. Kind of throwback, snappy yeah. dialogue. A- Amy Palladino is, is really a genius, and her husband, Dan, is mm-hmm. um, is right there with her. And they, they it's like I was saying with my brother. Amy has her, knows exactly what she wants. She has her hands in everything yeah. um, and everything that's done. And I didn't properly appreciate that. You know, when the when I did my first episode, I was 26, and she's only a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought of her as like my boss. Right. But looking back and thinking like, like this is a woman in her like early 30s mm-hmm. who's the showrunner of this thing, yeah. and is trying to battle with 
with a network that yeah. wants to tell her what to do, and she's like, no, I know what what to do. That's pretty what badass. Badass, yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. That's very cool. Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. Um, all right, man. We will move on into California Split. Yeah. Uh, a movie that I'm a little ashamed to say I have ne- had never seen mm. until this morning. Oh, I watched it this morning, too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> you should have come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I don't think that there's any embarrassment. I, I rarely meet people that have seen it. I'm, I'm a big Altman fan, though. Like, this yeah. one just got past me. Yeah. Um, I am, too. And, and my, um, if I were to list my top ten favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. which is something I would probably do because <laughs> we love making lists in my family. I don't know why. I think it's like, I think it's a, I think it's an offshoot of narcissism that like, <laughs> that like if it's on your list, like you're bestowing it. Right. Like knighthood or something like uh-huh. that. Um, but um, I think all, I think, I think. Long Goodbye, oh, yeah. Nashville, and California Split would all be maybe top six or seven. And like, were those three all in a row? Because I know Long um, Goodbye and this one were back-to-back. They're very close. Thieves Like Us was right in there, too, which okay. is also a great movie. I haven't seen that if one you, either. That, that one's even more obscure, yeah. and it's really good, but it's I put it a notch below these three. A lot of people put California Split a notch below Long Goodbye and Nashville, which I get for various reasons. Sure. But, um, it's, it's in some ways less ambitious, but— I mean, everything's less ambitious than Nashville. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, that is for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I love. I still love those movies. The way Altman made movies. He's got mm-hmm. another like. He's way more hit and miss for the rest of his career. But I also very, very much like Mash and Yeah. Um, Come back to the Five and Dime. Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean's. I uh-huh. think is a really strong movie. And um, the players are good movie maybe a little overrated but yeah um, shortcuts yeah i found a lot of uh dna uh in this film in shortcuts mm. when i watched it in that just sort of the sort of the and you lived in uh, do live in la so you know that la thing it, it's a different sort of like the underbelly sort of low life la is completely different than new york yes and it's a very specific thing and Altman just nails it. Yes. California Split is a very L.A. movie. Yeah. And it's also a very, like, there are a lot. <laughs> I almost said I could go on and on talking about this movie, but I guess that's why I'm here. Exactly. Um, I, um, y- you know, I, uh, there's a lot of elements of it that are very personal to me. Um, just in terms of gambling and, like, I, I love the. I don't just love gambling. I love the gambling lifestyle. Oh yeah. Um, and I love that, um, that sort of like, you know, what Elliot Gould's character, Charlie, Mm -hmm. you know, the way he lives his life is something that, um, that I've been drawn to forever. Interesting. Like the idea, and and I see a parallel between that and being an actor. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going to live outside of the bounds of, you know. Yeah. Um, I always thought, um, I remember having like an argument with my brother Matt a couple years ago where he brought up something about that I, I had said I would never have a nine to five job. Like mm-hmm. I would never, and and I think he misinterpreted that I thought that I was better than a nine to five job. Right. You know, that like, I, that, like that, that was beneath me. But I'm like, no, I just could, I would and could never do it. Right. Like it's not, 
it's not in my brain. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not in my capability to do that. Right. And I think Charlie's like that. Right. You know, I mean, obviously he's like that. Yeah. It's just like not, you know, like when he's like, when he goes to, to, um, to Bill, you know, the George Siegel character, when he, he's like, goes to Bill's job and there's no, no part of him that would ever dream of doing that. Yeah. You know, those characters are so, it's one of the other things that's so great about it is that they're so different from one another. You yeah. Know, those two guys are. are so different. But I think I have those char- both those characters inside of me in uh-huh. a sense a little bit. Um, some of Bill's like sort of self-reflective stuff. Yeah, they they are different. And when I was watching it, I kind of, and see what you think about this. It kind of felt like to me like kind of up until the end really which, you know, we'll get to that end scene, which is, like, one of the best ever. Yes. But um, Charlie, I feel like, kind of feels like, like, like we're the same, you and me. Yeah. But they're not at all. Right. Yeah. But he finds this right. new friend mm-hmm. that he, uh, like a lot of, you know, these guys are obviously, um, especially Charlie, at like a gambling uh, addict, I guess you would say. Uh, yeah. I, in, in sort of a fun way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think... He's not a gambling addict the way that you think of a gambling addict who just like loses every like hat like like loses everything you know or like right. is always just they just prefer the action. To, he, it's fun for him, yeah, because he he bets on everything, right? And that's part of the fun of the movie. Like it's really interesting because they bill it as a comedy, mm-hmm. which it is funny in a lot of places, mm-hmm. but it's just got such a dark. Altman as it's how Altman makes comedies. Underbelly, you know? yeah. yeah. He's not going to make it straight up. I mean, look what he did with Popeye for Christ's Oh Christ man, sake. I love it. But I like uh, Popeye. I got to see Popeye again. But but, but he had it's a fucking weird movie, man. Yeah, it was fun rewatching it recently. But um, Charlie has fun gambling. Like he can't just go out and play some pickup basketball. He's betting these guys that he can beat them in one on one. Yes. Or you know, sort of a sad scene was at the very beginning when he and and George Siegel first hook up, and they are sort of drunk at the end of the night at the bar, and they, they he bets him whether or not he can name the the seven dwarfs, and uh, it's <laughs> funny, but it's also so, so depressing though. It's like both at the same time. Because my my buddy my buddy uh, and I would quote that all the time. Yeah, here comes seven like a Gatling gun. <laughs> yeah, sleepy grumpy Doc. He That's four. Three. That's yeah. three. <laughs> Like a Gatling gun. <laughs> it comes seven. There's Sleepy so many gross, great lines. Sleepy Grumpy Duck. Yeah. That's four. That's three. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I know it's, it's yeah, they'll bet on, but you know, it's, Bill's the one who's a gambling addict. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he's, he's the, the one that has lost his life. Exactly. Because of it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, That's a good point. I never really considered that. And, and, the and, you know, I, I don't know where, I don't know which direction this conversation should go, but I can, I can tell you uh, the sort of large, my sort of larger idea, but like I, when, what this movie means to me is it's like, I feel like it's more of um, a kind of psychological, uh, how do I put this? It's like, it's like waiting for Godot in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think that these, these it's like a metaphysical um statement you know like like the idea that that gambling is a an allegory for the way everyone lives their lives yeah 
is is very apparent to me. Yeah. Like I I I'm I would say I've said to people before, and I know Charlie would say this too, mm-hmm. that it's all gambling, man. Yeah. You know, like everything you do is a gamble. You know, like right. like one like like people think it's weird. You know, I've I've had stretches of my life where I'll go, and I certainly don't think I'm like I haven't lost enough money to be you know. I like playing the odds. I like the math of gambling, mm-hmm. you know, more than the action. But I've I've had periods in my life where, like, I'll go for a week and, you know, whatever, gamble. Like, I'll bet on sports and play poker and right. just do that for stretches at a time or, or do it fun. a lot for months at a time, you yeah. know? And, like, it's all – and then it's, like, it's really not – it's almost no different than playing the stock market. You yeah, know? totally. Um, and it's almost no, like everything you do, being an actor is a gamble. Being, you know, starting a podcast is a gamble. It's like the, the, the getting married is a gamble. Yeah. So it's like there's all, there's this element of, of what your relationship is to yourself mm-hmm. as a gambler, yeah. you know, that is, I think the movie feels like a meditation on that to right. me. If I, if I'm really reading into it as, as much as I can, which mm-hmm. is why I'm here. Right. Um, and, and so I really think that the, um, that the idea that the two ways that these guys look at their lives um, covers a lot of ground in terms of the way all human beings look at their lives yeah. and what their relationship is to how much they're willing to sort of let go mm-hmm. and how much they need to, hold on to yeah um and yeah we can get to that end scene but we, we can get to that yeah. later if you want yeah 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 let's hang on to that for yeah. now. um but again it's still funny in a lot of places it's a it's mm-hmm. a, tonally i mean altman was always such a master i think at mixing tones yeah um my actually emily worked with him and my brother my brother was a dga trainee years ago and his first assignment was to shadow Robert Altman on the player for like four days. Wow. And it was just a, you know, like he's never been on set before. Just shadow Robert Altman. Oh God. Which I is mean, really cool. Did he like him? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's like great. he gets mixed reviews of Altman from like their people. Well, Emily uh, produced uh, or was a, the UPM on Gingerbread Man. Oh really? That shot in Savannah years ago. Yeah. And so she was there like hardcore in there for the whole shoot. And she said he was great. Yeah. He, he smoked uh, pot constantly yeah out of his little one hitter like uh-huh. it was a cigarette all day long mm-hmm. which i was like great mm-hmm. yeah he, <laughs> so i mean so he, you can tell <laughs> when you uh, see his movies but you know he's very he was very famous for inviting the actors to watch dailies mm-hmm. together at the end of the day it was like a viewing yeah. party and i don't know man he was just such a i know everyone always calls him a maverick but he really was yo totally like and he played by his own rules which is so commendable if you watch his movies now i mean it's why he's such a an artist i mean if you watch his movies now, like you, you sit down and watch Long Goodbye in Nashville and California Split and, and MASH and oh, oh McCabe Mrs. Miller. That's yeah. the other one. I like that's another that one. one. I totally forgot that one. That's yeah. almost top 10 for me too. Yeah. Top, top 20 probably for me. But but like they, like, and you watch those movies, you can't, you see the auteur theory of mm-hmm. films. You see that like, you're never going to have somebody that's like, oh, he's a lot like Altman. Right. Like, you're not, that artist isn't really, they're either stealing from him. Or yeah, they're unless doing, they're trying to pretend like they're Or they're doing like their own Altman. thing, but nothing feels the way his movies feel to me. 
Yeah, he didn't. Uh, and and this one, he even I think Altman admitted that this one was maybe the had the thinnest plot of them all, which says a lot. Yeah, <laughs> because he never followed a, any sort of traditional. Like there were never like movie moments mm-hmm. that you recognize as like the movie moment. Mm-hmm. It was just shit like life unfolding. Yeah. And there happened to be a, a master filmmaker like collecting the data mm-hmm. and then letting you watch it. Yeah. This and, all feels so real. It's so funny to me because I'm normally not like that as a as a viewer. Like mm-hmm. I, I a lot I like it's a lot of times I'll criticize like the you know, you need a plot. The movie has to have a sure. It has to have a forward thrust for the same character. And I love movie moments. Like, or you don't, yeah. And yeah. it's like I and and it should be theatrical. And and I'm sure that I'm sure I've criticized many movies for doing all the things that California Split does. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I just didn't but do it as well. It just works. It 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 makes me feel something that I understand mm-hmm. um, more than, and, and it's why I've always hung on to it as as my favorite you know it's like one that i've always been like here's another thing about it i always feel like it's really rare that i would ever meet and i haven't yet but that i would ever meet anyone else who would say it's their favorite movie of all time you know it feels like it feels special to Uh me in that way yeah yeah and i like that you know for sure yeah that's cool It, it reminded me too have you ever seen the movie fat city uh, the, no. The boxing movie? No, I know, I know the movie, but I haven't seen it. You should check that out. I it, will. it has some, uh, it's a lot of similarities to this in that, um, in that movie, it's, uh, it's alcoholism, but there's this down and out boxer and he latches onto this woman and they're immediately like living together. And that was sort of like, uh, Charlie and, uh, Bill, mm-hmm. they, they met, I mean, you would think if you walked in on the movie eight minutes in, you would think, oh, yeah, these guys are, are old friends. Yeah. And not having just met each other. And again, in the Altman way, it wasn't some profound meeting. It just sort of happened at the beginning. Yeah. I love I love that it's a reveal that they, Altman almost teases that they might be working together. Yeah, that's you what know? it feels like. like well, I mean, he definitely teases. Yeah, yeah. That, that they could be working together at the beginning of the movie, that they could be in cahoots with one but another. But they weren't, right? No, they weren't because okay. because you see them separately, and then you follow one of them, and then and so then when when um, when Charlie enters the bar, um, it it could have it could easily at that point have him walk over and sit down and say, "Hey, that was great. We made this." But you know, I kind of thought that was coming. But no, they, you see them actually meet each other, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, these guys aren't. These guys are destined to, to meet each other. Yeah, They're they not. just happened into the same. And again, that bar, like, which you also spent makes time it, in L.A. It was yeah. such an L.A. Like, oh god, that bar's still probably in L.A. and looks yeah. just like that. It reminded me, uh, my bar when I lived there was uh, a bar called the Drawing Room in Los Feliz. Dude, I I live blocks away from the Drawing Room. Yeah, in L.A. And it's uh, actually when I lived there, it did go through one change. I don't know. I mean, have you ever been there? Did you ever, do you ever go in there? Many times. Okay. <laughs> but years ago, were you there when they had the United States map on the wall? Oh, before God. it went through there. Here, here's what happened. Year when I first I don't know when that there. happened, but I was there as early as ninety eight. So. Okay. Well, that was sort of right then because yeah. they had the whole wall was a mural of a map of the United States, and it was dingy and awesome and gross. And then they shot a. TV commercial or a TV show in there and got the most minor of makeovers in that they put in, like, another uh, mural on the wall that was just fancier looking. 
but it still stayed kind of gross. And uh, do you, you know, remember Henry? Do you remember the barfly Henry? Yeah. The old black guy, Henry? Yeah. yeah. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've sat and drank next to Henry many a night over the years uh-huh. back in the day. And Henry was an, uh, was a former actor, which I never knew. Wow. And uh, that just that sad L.A. bar scene is, oh, uh, dude. barfly scene is and so And there's a bunch like that. And I, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to sound like an alcoholic. I swear I'm not. I'm <laughs> as neither, we're drinking as I, we record this. <laughs> I know. I'm neither a gambling addict nor an alcoholic. But I um but I I I really like have this affection for all the six AM bars and all the bars that open at six AM in totally LA. I do. Um and there's a bunch of them. Uh-huh. And and it's like like, you know, um like the frolic room or the yep. which might open at eleven. But anyway. And that and there's like the these drunks bars. And, um, and yes, that's exactly what that bar feels like in California split. But yeah. I, I, I always liked that. I don't know if it's, I'm sure a psychotherapist might say that it has something to do with like, I don't know, growing up kind of sheltered in the suburbs yeah, and white, same, same white guilt and <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. But like, I, bet you I, that's it. I feel at home in a way, uh-huh. You know, sitting in a bar at ten or eleven in the morning, yeah, in a in a way that I don't in in other places around, in a way that I often don't in places that other people are are more comfortable. Yeah, I I tend to um, get more creeped out in the shiny, yeah, clean places. Yeah. And I actually went, you know, the the uh, laundromat next a couple of doors down from the drawing room. Uh-huh. I used to go there to do my laundry, and one morning I went in at like nine or ten in the morning to do my laundry. I was like, I'm, I've never been over there in the morning. I need to see what's going on. Yeah. And as you know, it has no window. So you walk in yep. and it feels like two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And there were exactly what you think. There were about four or five sad alcoholics. And then there were like four dudes up from the night before that, you know, stum- yeah. stumbled in right. there, yeah. still drinking. Absolutely. And, and I loved it. <laughs> it's awesome. And incidentally, there's a great Italian restaurant called Pergoletta next door now that's awesome. Oh, really? But, um, but the uh, but yeah, I remember. I have a my my fondest drawing room memory is um, is this would have been, God, I don't know. Probably if I were to guess, I'd probably say two thousand and one, maybe. Um, but uh, I, I was out drinking with a couple of buddies. We'd gone to a party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is before cell phones, so we got split up. And I didn't yeah. know where they went, and I thought they'd ditch me. We got split up at like two thirty three in the morning. I think I was chasing some girl or something like that, and yeah. they and I got split up and they lost. And I was like, "Damn it, my buddies are gone!" And I went home, and I went home and I like watched some TV. And like at three thirty or four o'clock in the morning, I crashed out, went to sleep. But my phone rang at like ten after six. So just a, yeah, <laughs> six a.m. A couple, a couple of hours later, uh-huh. and I picked up my phone. And my friend was like, Judge is my my nickname is Judge. He's like, he's like, Judge, we're at the drawing room. Where are you? And I was like, All right, I'll be right there. Yeah. And I hung up the phone and I and I went right over there. Oh, that's great. And went and hung out. I was there at yeah. six thirty and like And Jen, the bartender, I'm sure she worked there back uh, then. Yeah. Do you that's remember Jen? Being an actor and like I probably I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, that's like there's a whole that gambling lifestyle and that actor's lifestyle definitely overlap mm-hmm. in that in that like degenerate world yeah. where you know particularly actors who work 
who work just enough to make make a living so they don't have to have they don't have to wait tables or have a day job. Right. But not enough that they're constantly working. Yeah. It's a lot of free time. Which is what I've been for like 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> so like, it's yeah, it's a weird, weird life. Yeah. Particularly in Los Angeles. But man. Yeah. And this movie just captures that. It's like, um, I mean, there's the scenes in the, in the, uh, the apartments of the, of the ladies that they're taking up with. But other than that, it feels like every scene in that movie is, a poker room, a boxing match, um, yeah, a, a horse track, like they're they're everywhere where you can gamble. Absolutely, and I got to make the disclaimer that as much as I love the movie, watching it this morning, I was watching with my fiance, and the scene with Helen, who is um, uh, a, a cross-dressing older man, yeah, man, um, that was sad. Who Bert, played by the great Burt Remsen, who's uh-huh. in. Um, He's amazing in Thieves Like Us, which is the other one you need to see. But um, but um, that scene felt a little dated to me in a way that that like like that was the scene that I was like, ah, I wonder if my fiance likes you know like yeah. it was the one that that uh, like I wonder if well. Natasha thinks this is stupid. Um, well, because the scene is uh, it's really it's a really sad scene. But, yeah, but it's played in like it's the scene that I wish I wish you could sort of retool. Yeah, it's it's a man in drag. Yeah, who uh, is clearly like fearful of the cops because it was a time where right. you could get busted for something right. like that. Yeah, and Ellie Gould and and Siegel like pretend they're cops. Yeah, to to be funny and it's right. Again, watching it today, I was like, oh man, that's fucked up. Yeah, and, and I think it's I think that its heart is in the right place, but it's it's played for laughs in a way that in 2018 I'm like kind of yeah, not for sure. It. Not quite as cool with, but whatever. It's hard to judge a movie from 1974. No, I know. I mean, everything. You can't. can't, I mean, everything would fall apart in that way, I think. It's hard to judge a movie from 2004. (laughs) Yeah. Much less 1974. Yeah. Uh, It looks so good, too. I I didn't want to, like, let the cinematography get away because it's not flashy at all, but all those Altman movies from the 70s are just. And there's something about those films that just sort of washed out realness and that and that color yeah. was just I just eat it up. Yeah. And it looks so good today on like a nice flat screen TV and I read yeah, it does. It actually the first several times I saw the movie, I saw it on a on a VHS tape that had been um, you know, somebody had recorded it when uh when it was like on on cable. Right. Um because you couldn't it, you couldn't get it. Yeah. They didn't show it anywhere. Um and um, and so that was the only copy I could get. And for several years, I had that VHS tape. And I, you know, because I've seen the movie, you know, at least a good 10, 12 times now. Uh-huh. And so the first many times that I saw it. And the other thing that's funny about that is that the first, like, m- 60 seconds, 60 to 90 seconds were cut off the front of that of that VHS. Oh, wow. So I never saw the saw very the <laughs> first minute or two until like yeah. until like my eighth or ninth viewing or whatever. Well, but, and they had that explanation of poker at the very beginning yes. too, which is kind of cool. Well, it cut in it cut in the version that I had cut into that. Right. So was it that was anyway. You didn't but, miss much, but No, sure. I know I didn't miss much. Um and and uh and yeah, it's um it's so beautiful though. Mm-hmm. It's like it looks a lot like when you cuz you can get the you know, the good high definition version on Amazon. Yeah. And it looks great. Yeah. I read that um I read that there was a more I forget I forget who it is, but it's a name you'd know. But that there was a very like experienced, famous DP 
who was maybe going to do it. And Altman changed his mind at the last minute and went with somebody. He's like, just worried that he was going to try to make it too pretty. Oh yeah. And, uh, and he's like, he wanted somebody, he probably just wanted somebody who he could tell what to do a little bit more, you know? Right. But, um, but yeah, he wanted somebody who was sort of newer that was just going to be mm-hmm. like just bare bones. And it's yeah, like, not so, like over light it or overdo it. Yeah. 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 What is the California split? Um, cause I know they split the money at the end. Is that what it is? I don't fully get that. God, I feel like I looked this up and I can't remember now. I, it, I don't remember. I don't remember if it's an old gambling term or if it just sounds like an old gambling term. Um, but it's something about, you know, he's his back or he stakes him. So they, they split the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I, I might. Look I feel that like I looked and, that up one time and yeah. had the answer and I don't remember anymore. But I mean, these guys are not the same. I mean, like we said, George Siegel's character is desperate and has lost his wife because of this uh, gambling yeah. problem. He's got a bookie on his tail. Yeah. And, and Elliot Gould, who's so, I mean, they're both great, but Elliot Gould is just so, Ugh. like he was peak Elliot Gould in, in the mid-70s. I totally agree. Uh, like, I think... Um, so underrated, I People think. ask me all the time who my inspirations are as an actor. Um, and the um, the big three for me are Buster Keaton, uh-huh. um, a, a guy named Eddie Bracken, who's in the, the Press and Surges movies, Hail the Conquering Hero, okay. and Miracle of Morgan's Creek, who, like, another old-time guy who... Yeah who I just have stolen things from as I, and Gould. And like, I love these like long goodbye and California split in Mm -hmm. particular. Like I love watching him work. I just love it. Love it. Love it. So natural. But this movie to me, Siegel match it. Like I've never, I've never thought of George Siegel as an actor sort of in that caliber, but yeah, he kind of matches him perfectly here. Yeah. He gets set like, like, you can tell, you can tell by looking at his face that he knows he'll never be like that. Yeah. You know, he knows he can never be Charlie and that, that like, there's so many things. It's like you bring up him losing his wife. I love that, you know, the only two mentions we have of his wife Mm -hmm. are there's one point when he goes to borrow money from a guy and he's like, oh, I'm getting this ESP that you're, that you you're back with your old lady, right? And then the second one is when he's with um, the Gwen Wells character, mm-hmm. and it he's was great too. It, it, she's great, also great in Nashville. Um, and it's like a seduction, a very depressing seduction scene. Yeah, and uh, and she's like, "You're married," and he says, "Yeah." Well, he said, or he's, "She says you're married." He says, "What does that matter? Uh-huh. I'm separated," and that's it. Yeah, we don't. I love that we don't need and part of this is how well Siegel plays it mm-hmm. we don't need any more we don't need him to give some monologue about what happened with him and his wife right we don't need him to say at the end of the movie I gotta go try to make things right with my wife we don't need any of that yeah. stuff it's not necessary for the drama mm-hmm. the drama is mined by knowing that it's there and by then you feel it by watching it yeah like I love that and I just think nobody does that better than than Altman, really. Yeah, I mean, you, and he allows the actors, like, you never catch these guys acting or yeah. feeling like they're saying lines. 
Yeah. It's just so real. Yeah. And especially, I mean, they're both great, but Elliot Gould just blew Ugh. me away. He's so amazing. I mean, he's, he's so funny amazing. and like confident. He's all over it. He's yeah. just like, and, and, and like, you know, his character does some things that are, that are like, eh, this guy's a little bit, can be a little bit of a piece of shit sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. For sure. But you never mad at him. You know, you no. want to hang out with him. Uh-huh. Um, and, and when the, when the, when the chips are down and he has to pull off something more, mm-hmm. he can do it. Like when he, when he goes and gets his money back from the bully at the beginning and he beats him up in the bathroom and, yeah. and he says at the end, who's a funny man. And he's at the end of that scene. He's like, who's a funny man now? Yeah. Like that anger is there. Yeah. You know, and, and you, he, it's it's all there. That's such what a great a, scene. What a performance he said, that is. Oh, that's, what does he say that's the best best punch I've ever Yes. Best punch he's I've like, ever Wow, <laughs> yeah. what a punch. Yeah. And then he kicks it's his like, ass and I'm, he's like, It wasn't one of your punches, but yeah. You know. yeah, but I'll take it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I'll take it. Yeah. And then he's or, like, Is that over? And he starts kicking do. him and Yeah, it's so so cool. Um yeah. also love the scene where he uh comes back from Tijuana and, yeah. and George Seagal's so pissed off at him. That scene is amazing to me because he does the the one arm piccolo player, which is just hysterical. Which is hysterical. <laughs> it's so and funny adorable. to watch. He's great at it, but it's another scene where Siegel's reaction to that when he fa- falls out laughing that seemed very real. I'm like, he had they had to film this where he really didn't know that was coming. I, that had to have been the case. It, that was uh, such a real moment. Other, I mean, or maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. I, I, I you know, it's uh, uh, to relate that to myself. I have this tiny little pet peeve. I don't mind it that much, but there's a scene in the first Guardians movie uh-huh. where Rooker's uh, doing his bobbity boobity boobity, yeah. you know, got a good thing, and um, and my character like cracks up uh-huh. behind him. Yeah, I think I remember that. And frequently, I have fans come up to me, and I don't hold it against them, but they're like, "That had to be real. Right. You really were cracking up." And and the the actor inside of me right. wants to be like, no, I was acting there. That's my job. Yeah, you know, and my and 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 it was it was actually a direction. It uh-huh. was like we did it a few different ways. Right, and one of them was was you know we're gonna I'm gonna crack up uh-huh. so that yeah it was a choice. We're gonna crack up like as though I'm surprised by it, and it, so I played it that you way. Sold it. Well, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm like, so I think back and I'm like, maybe Siegel was just acting, yeah. but if he is, man, he does it. Beautifully, yeah, because I mean, big that time. looks like a real bust out yeah. laughter. I think it's probably. I think I don't think he's acting there. I think. It, yeah. I think that he must have really not know known what was coming there. But yeah, and it brought real joy to him. to him in that moment. Yeah, he's still around. He's still around. I'd love they to ask are. him. It's so funny to look back at a time, and I talk about this a lot on the show in the seventies, where George Siegel and Elliot Gould are leading men. Like, if this movie were made today, it would be you know Channing Tatum and. Right, uh, Matt Damon. Right, you know. Yeah, it's like you could be Dustin Hoffman or George right. Siegel, and in top line a movie. Yeah, which is just crazy. Yeah, and I, great. You know, um, I know, I know. The, the, those performances are so good, and they're th- they're ones I watch as an as an actor. I watch them over and over and over again, and and I just like, I uh, I'm kind of in in awe of them. It's everybody's trusting everybody. Mm-hmm. You know. All right, so let's. Let's get to that ending. Um, they go to Reno. Yeah. They go all in and pool their money, uh, which is always this. Gambling movies give me a pit in my stomach. Like when people are oh, yeah. putting their all their money on the line. Yeah. I just like, this fucking makes me so nervous. 
and this is a spoiler alert. So if you want to watch yeah, the movie, for sure. <laughs> pause at this point and watch it, and then listen to the rest of it. But because yeah, I expected the first time I saw it, I fully expected George Siegel to lose everything, and then, me too, and then learn some lesson. Absolutely, and that's the way it feels like it should have gone. But it's even better. Yeah, they win. He wins everything, and he still and not learns happy. the and he learns an even harsher lesson, yeah. which is that it doesn't bring him anything. It doesn't make him happy. It's such a sad scene. They and, win eighty two grand, and Elliot Gould, Charlie is yes. over the moon and yes. he's singing and laughing. We're gonna and buy counting new the money. We're gonna go out on the yeah. town. We're gonna like, get, they want to interview us. We're let's celebrities. Get suites at the hotel for a week. Yeah. Let's gamble every day. Live like kings. Uh-huh. You know and. And it's the, to me, it's, it's my favorite. This is why this is the movie that I chose. Mm-hmm. My favorite moment, n- not just in films, but in, in like really just personally, just art in general, is that the, that scene starts with Charlie coming in and Bill is all still despondent and Charlie's like, like, you know, wow, do you always take it? Do you always take a big win this hard or whatever? Yeah. And Bill looks at him and he says, Charlie, there was never any special feeling. I just said there was. Yeah. And Charlie says, yeah, I know that. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Okay. To me, that little exchange, uh-huh. that's it. That's the human experience for me in a nutshell. Yeah. Like that, that to me, I can apply, like, I can apply that exchange to religion. I can apply it yeah. to, 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 you know. Um, relationships, mm-hmm. I can ap- apply it to like anything about how people live their lives. Like that to me is a fundamental truth that I, I can't, um, it, it, it is, it, it is just, that's what art to me is when it's working its best is that mm-hmm. that's an expression of a fundamental truth. Yeah. You know, that like, I, I, there wasn't any special feeling. I just said there was. Yeah. And, and, and which is already profound enough. Yeah. Because it's like, it is like, it, it is a little almost like religion. This is why I feel like the movie's like waiting for Godot. It's like, it is a little bit like, um, you know, like religion or relationship or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like when you, you fall in and out of love really quickly or you, you know, or like, um, you know, you convince yourself that your religion is saving you when it's not. Right. But then it's even better that Charlie responds like, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, I thought we all, I thought we knew that, you know, and and, yeah. and that's where they realize, oh, we're not alike at all. Yeah. You know, like, I, it's, I, I feel like it's over after that. Like I, these guys are yeah. never going to see each other again. Yeah. Charlie's like, I thought that was, the. I thought we were, you mm-hmm. know, um, I, I thought that was the truth that we all just sort of agreed to not talk about, but that we, right. Like, of course I'm pretending when I say I have a, I have a special magical feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and like, I, I don't know. It, it, it comes up for me. That moment comes up for me over and over and over again in my life. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. It, it's such a, just a gut punch of an ending. It is. And then Elliot Gould is so good right after that too. Cause after that exchange and he's still sitting there and he's despondent. And then, that total, that Joker, you know, that funny man that we've mm-hmm. seen the whole mo- movie. Oh, it's gone. It just drops oh, yeah, out man. of his face. It was remarkable. It's like one shot and it just drops. Mm-hmm. And he says, 
Doesn't mean a fucking thing, does it? Yeah. And he knows. He knows. Like, they, they, everybody gets it. It's like, it is like, like, talk about the poetry of, yeah, of art. It's <laughs> like, rather than having a guy lose everything and learn, learn the lesson. Right. You have him win everything and learn the lesson. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. like, that's just fucking beautiful. Yeah. So good. And only Altman would have been ballsy enough to, and, and shout out to, uh, I mean, we talk about Altman a lot, but the uh, screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Who's in the movie? You know, he plays uh, Spike. Oh, really? Yeah, Joseph Walsh. Yeah, he plays the guy. He plays the uh, he plays the bookie that George Siegel owes oh, that he goes and yeah, meets yeah, and that orders guy. the chili. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. Um, what else has he written? Did he was he big? He time was or? an actor, from what I understand, who like was you know not getting the roles he wanted and hmm. had that. You know, had that movie. I, I I don't know much. I really don't know much else about him. I mean, I, I think that I I'm my guess is that Altman and Elliot Gould took a, a lot of liberties on the yeah, script. I would think probably so. Yeah, such a great ending. I don't know how much of that is 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 in the movie, but yeah. But and then and then the movie also has the has the uh, you know the prescience to end the movie when it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have that scene, and it's like. There's nothing more that needs to be said between yeah. them, and there's nothing more that needs to be said in the movie. It's like, yeah, that this is what we, this is what we came here for. Now we've learned it. Let's move on. Yeah, and and it's also one of those endings that makes you sort of rethink everything you had seen for the previous two hours. Yeah, and say, oh, like it was there the whole time. This sadness and this like, it's not the gambling. Like these guys, it's not like oh they won the eighty two grand, so now they're happy and right. now they're satisfied. Right. Uh, such a good movie. Yeah, thank you for choosing this because oh, it would have slipped by me probably. I'm glad. Uh, all right, we finished with a couple of quick segments. What Ebert said. This movie is a complete disappointment. Nice. And then five questions. Ebert gave this four stars. At the end of California Split, we realized that Altman has made a lot more than a comedy about gambling. He's taken us into an American nightmare, and all the people we met along the way. Uh, felt genuine and looked real. This movie has a taste in its mouth, like stale air conditioning, and no matter what time it seems to be, it's always five in the morning in a second-rate casino. It's kind of nails it. <laughs> I like that. That, that, that. He's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio. I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, And then five questions with Sean Gunn. First first movie you remember seeing in the theater. Hmm. Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Yeah. I think. 
I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Would that be before Greece? That probably before Greece, right? Yeah, I think so. They were pretty close, though, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I saw both those in the theater, too. Yeah. Those old Disney, uh, those were fun movies. Uh, first R-rated movie you saw, home or in the theater? Um, I got to see all that stuff earlier than anybody else. As the youngest. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as the youngest. Um, I think it was, uh, what year did Halloween come out? Mm, I feel like that was like 79 or something. Yeah, I think it was Halloween. Wow. So you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was little. <laughs> I was in there. Uh, we walk out of a bad movie. Yeah. And do you remember doing so? Uh-huh. And, and do you want to name it? <laughs> oh, man. I've walked out of movies that people like. Um, I uh, I remember walking out of Quiz Show. Oh, interesting. That's a good movie. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the first half of it was terrible, but I can't tell okay. you. Like, gotcha. I don't know. I was, you know what? I also saw that movie when I was a very arrogant college student, mm-hmm. you know, who like was very, and I was like, yeah. And I think we also wanted to go do something else or yeah, whatever. That happens so I don't know if that quite counts. I bet I'd watch it now and say it's fine. Um, what else have I, I've, I've definitely walked out of other movies though. I'm, you know, not a lot, but I've done it. All right. Um, let me see here. Number four, I try to tailor to the guest. So what movie from the past do you most uh, wish you could have been in? Mm. And you can name a role if you want, but you can also just say, mm. I would have loved to have been in Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. No, I think, you know, what comes like, there's, I mean, can I give you two? Sure. Because this, these are, these are within my acting career and they're movies that, that like, I, I think, um, man, this movie would have been better if I had played this role. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's hear and it. the main one is, and I know we made it for no money and the guy like wrote the movie or whatever, but I, as, as low budget as it is, I felt like I should have been the lead in Pi. The Aronofsky, oh, yeah. the Aronofsky movie. Uh-huh. And I'm a math guy too anyway. And it's just like, I remember watching that I movie totally see and saying like, God, God, this movie's really cool, but it would be so much better if they had a, if they had a, if, if this actor was more sort of on top of what he was doing. Here. Yeah. That was sort of one of um, the, because he doesn't seem like a professional. He seems no. like, a, you know, um, I could have seen you in that movie. And the other one is a movie that I love actually anyway, but I remember seeing Wonder Boys and, uh, oh, God. Love and that and I was right in the pocket where, like, like I was very jealous. I saw Tobey Maguire, and I'm like, this guy's got a career, and he's a movie star, and I'm, like, struggling for commercial auditions or whatever. But, like, I'm like, he does a fine job. Yeah. But I'm like, I, I would have been perfect for that role. Right. That's, that's one of my favorite movies. Th- that movie's freaking great. Yeah. It really is, like, like I, 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 I look forward to seeing that movie again. It's so... It's so good, and I really believe actually Tobey Maguire is good in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, it's one that like when I watched, it, I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's one I would really. That's want. my role. Yeah, that's good. Great answers. Uh, and then finally, movie going one hundred and one. What's your movie routine when you go? Where do you sit? What do you eat? Um, I've I've gotten farther back. I don't care that much about eating when I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, you know. I see movies by myself a lot less than I used to. So, like, if, if when I'm with my fiance, it's she's a popcorn person, so uh-huh. I'll, I'll eat popcorn. You gotcha. know, <laughs> um, but I don't really care that much about eating. Um, I I prefer to prefer to go to a movie that's not going to be too packed 
I will take not sitting next to people over location. Like I don't, okay. I don't, I'd rather not have people on so either further side back of me. If you can get away from yeah, people. Yeah. And also as I've gotten older, I don't mind. I mean, and also as movie theaters have gotten better, I yeah. don't mind a little further back. I'd yeah, say I'm, same here. I'd say I'm generally like about two thirds of the way back okay. towards one or the other of the sides, but then adjusting that for like an island of safety yeah. where there's not too many people, <laughs> or there's not too many people around. <laughs> and I see so many, like, I, I bet I haven't seen three movies in the theater this year. Uh, yeah, I don't get out as much as I used to, for sure. Uh-huh. That just happens. But I hear Mandy's really good, and I heard... Uh, I my, had heard that, too. And my buddy said, it go see A Star is Born, so I'm going to go see it. I want to see that, too. Yeah. Your buddy, uh, uh, The Raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, good stuff, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks. This Appreciate was a lot it. Of fun. This is great. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. That was a fun talk. Uh, afterward, Sean's very sweet. He was like, I, I hope that I wasn't long-winded. How long did these normally go? And I'm like, dude, they go as long as they go. And if they're long ones, then that's a good sign that it's a good one. Uh, because that means that we were having a good uh, human conversation eye to eye with no cell phones in front of our faces, which was great. And uh, really enjoyed his insight on California Split. A um, lot of things I didn't think about um, that he sort of opened my eyes to with this movie. And our, our shared love of Elliot Gould was apparent. So now we're Elliot Gould bros and uh, George Siegel bros. Great film. I'm glad he turned me on to it. I got a couple of more uh, holes to fill in my Altman slate uh, thanks to Sean telling me about those movies. So I can't wait to watch those. And I might have him in here again, folks. He uh, he and I got along so well, and he's in the area, and I'm definitely going to get his uh, lovely fiance Natasha, on, and uh, we're going to talk about movies too. So look forward to that, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can follow Sean on Twitter uh, if you're into that, at Sean Gunn, S-E-A-N-G-U-N-N, The Judge, apparently. What a great nickname. So thanks to Sean for coming in, and uh, we will see you next week on Movie Crush, everyone. And until then, why don't you go binge watch The Gilmore Girls? It's a lot of fun. Movie Crush is produced, engineered, edited, and soundtracked by Noel Brown and Ramsey Yunt at HowStuffWorks Studios, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. What if you could learn from the world's most inspiring women? Now you can. Introducing Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose. We bring you purpose-driven, actionable ideas and insights from leaders such as Tori Birch, Madeline Albright, Katie Couric, Valerie Jarrett, Andrea Jung, and many more. Listen to Seneca Women, conversations on power and purpose on the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Timon Bay. Timon Bay is weak. We need to rebuild. The epic fiction podcast Timon Bay returns. Have we met before? Oh, yes, General. You have no choice. It has to be done. In the name of God. What have you done? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.